Well, turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. We'll start here in just a moment. Look in chapter 15, uh, verse 22. Exodus 15, verse 22. you haven't been with us in the past weeks, the name of this class is The Names of God, and we're studying the names of God and learning about God's character and nature by uh, looking at His uh, names, uh, His names as revealed to us through the pages of Scripture. And, and names have much meaning, and as we study the names of God, they help us to look beyond uh, the generic use of the word God to the specific God of the Bible. And, and, and the names of God uh, revealed us what that God of the Bible is like, who He is, and how He works, and what He is like. So, very important study, the names of God. So, excited to study with you tonight, Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha. And I think that's how you pronounce it. I could be wrong, but I'm, we're going to go with Jehovah Rapha, alright? That's how I've always heard it pronounced. And this name is found in Exodus chapter 15. Um, we'll start reading in verse 22. Before I do it, let me just pray for us tonight and commit our time to the Lord. Father, your word says that we are to uh, trust in you with all of our heart, to not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways to acknowledge you. And when we do that, Lord, you tell us in your word that you will direct our paths. And so, Father, tonight, at the beginning of this study of your word, we acknowledge you as the God who wrote this word. We acknowledge you as the God who opens our eyes uh, to be able to understand this word. And you are the God who, um, who loves us and made a way for us to be saved. And Lord, we acknowledge that tonight. We acknowledge that you are the one true God, that you are uh, our God. We worship you. We praise you. We lift up the name of Jesus, uh, our mighty Savior tonight. We just ask that you would draw near to us, help us direct our paths, Lord, uh, as we study. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Look what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 15. Let me give you just a little bit of context here. If uh, you remember, uh, God delivered the nation of Israel from Egyptian bondage and slavery. He parted the Red Sea, and uh, they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. And when Pharaoh's army pursued the Israelites... Uh, through the Red Sea, God allowed the waters to fall back on top of Pharaoh's army and decimated Pharaoh's army. And so God gave the Israelites a mighty deliverance uh, from Egypt. It's a remarkable story in God's word. And the first part of chapter 15 is them celebrating the song of Moses. They're celebrating and praising God for giving them this mighty deliverance. But look what happens in verse 22. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah, which uh, means bitter. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Then he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Uh, that phrase there is, I am Jehovah or Yahweh Rapha. I am the Lord who heals. Uh, that's the name of God. Revealed in the text. And they were, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 78 palms. They camped there beside the waters. And so God here is speaking of uh, obedience and, and, and surrender to his lordship. And he said, don't grumble against me. Obey me. Follow me. Trust me. Do what I say. And if you do that, I won't allow diseases to come on you. The, uh, the diseases that you suffered in Egypt, I will heal you from those diseases because I am the Lord your healer. So God reveals himself uh, as a healer in this passage. Now, turn over to Psalm Psalm 30. 
Psalm 30, verse 1. It's a psalm of David, and they dedicated uh, the house, and it says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. So David recognizes God's healing work in his life. He recognizes that God is a healer. So I want to talk to you about this name of God, Jehovah Rapha or Yahweh Rapha, the, the Lord heals. If you're looking there in your notes, the Lord heals is the, is the first blank that you would fill out. That's what the word or the phrase Jehovah Rapha means. Now, there are three major aspects that I want you to think about. Just think about God being a healer, the Lord being a healer. And I think if we'll look at all these, consider all these, then we, we can put it all together and, and consider uh, what our needs are in our lives. First of all, we, we all have need of physical healing. We all have need of physical healing. Sometime in our life, some point in our life, we all have physical maladies, physical ailments uh, that we need to be healed from. We all, uh, at some point, have need of physical healing, whether it be something as small as uh, a cut on the hand. You, you need that cut to be healed, or if it's maybe a more serious illness. We all uh, have need of healing in our lives. Now, where do physical ailments come from? Why, why do we struggle with, with physical maladies and, and, and diseases and sickness? Where does all that come from? Well, if you just follow along with me there, first of all, physical ailments are a result of living in a fallen world. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 with me. Romans chapter 8. In verse 18, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul's writing here, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. It waits for, for the Lord's return. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So what Paul's writing there is when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, creation was cursed by God. God cursed uh, creation. You remember God cursed the ground. And he said, from this point on, uh, Adam, you're going to have to work with the sweat of your brow. And because um, the ground has been cursed, uh, everyone struggles nowadays to, to, to yield produce from the ground. That's why we have to, we have to put fertilizer down to make something grow in one place, but then spray poison in another place to stop it from growing. I mean, just the, it's not, it doesn't cooperate with us uh, in, in, in tending um, the earth. And so look what it says next. It says that the creation, verse 21, the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. This, the, the creator order has been corrupted, has been cursed by God, and it's in slavery to that corruption into, it will come into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now, expecting God to return and make things right. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our, our adoption as sons, the redemption of what? Our body. So not only does the created order need to be redeemed, and it will be. Remember in Revelation it says that God's going to do away with the present heavens and the present earth. He's going, to, he's going to bring in a new heavens and a new earth. You know that over in Revelation. So God, God's going to do away with this cursed creation. Think about how amazing creation is, even in its cursed form. Think about how amazing it is. Can you imagine what the new creation is going to be like when God creates a new heavens and a new earth? It's going to be incredible. But not only is the creation cursed, our bodies as part of the created order are cursed. We're waiting for the redemption of our uh, bodies. We live in a fallen world, and the reason that we deal with sickness is because we live in a, a fallen world. Sin has infiltrated the world, and sin has done a number on, on everyone, and because the effects of sin, the marring effects of sin, we all deal with sickness. We all deal with disease. We all deal with physical weakness, physical ailment. You say, um, well, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't ever get sick. I, I don't ever deal with that, Wade. Well, guess what? Eventually you're going to die. So you all, we all deal with it, right? 
the, the statistics last time I checked are still one out of one die. So we're all, we're all cursed. We all live in a cursed world. And so physical ailments are a result of living in a fallen world. Secondly, that's a cheery way to start, isn't it? All right. We'll get more encouraging as we go. All right. Number two, physical ailments can be God's judgment for rebellion. Physical ailments can be. I mean, they're not always, but they can be God's judgment for rebellion. Turn over to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Verse 1. I think, what is your, does it say Numbers 12, 23 on your sheet? Okay, there's not even 23 verses in chapter 12, so that's wrong. Misprint on my part, sorry about that. No, it's chap, verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, Then Moses and Aaron, who were the leaders that God appointed for Israel, uh, I'm sorry, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses, who was the leader God appointed for Israel. Miriam uh, was Moses' sister. Because of the Cushite woman, whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Now, uh, the area of Cush was approximately where Ethiopia is now, uh, northeast part of, of Africa. And it says, And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? They were jealous of his authority, that he was the one calling the shots. Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forth, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, uh, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. So as an act of judgment against her rebellion, all of a sudden, Miriam has leprosy. Her skin is leprous, white as snow. I had a professor in seminary, and I, I, I'd read this passage before. I never really thought of it in these terms. But I had a professor in seminary who... Uh, who Throughout this hypothesis, he, he believed that Miriam uh, was basically racist against Moses' Cushite um, wife. And because of her racism, because of her hatred of this ethnicity, uh, as, if, as if a way to say, oh, you're concerned about skin color, her skin turned leprous. I don't know if that's the case or not, but we do know that the leprosy was uh, given to her as, uh, as a result of her rebellion against God, her rebellion against Moses as a leader. And so Moses goes to the Lord and, and, and begs, and, and, uh, and God uh, heals her for, from her leprosy. She's had, she has to be shut, shut out of the camp for a while. But notice the leprosy comes because she'd rebelled against God's authority, God's leader. Now, let me show you another example of this. Turn to no, Numbers 21, verse 4. Maybe a more well-known example here. Numbers 21, verse 4. It says, Then they set out from Mount Hor, the Israelites, by the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. God had been providing for them over and over again, but they were still complaining about their food. So the Lord, verse 6, sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So this is a direct result of their, their physical death comes as a result of their rebellion against God, murmuring and grumbling against God. So you read the rest of that passage, which I love. It's where God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, hold it up in the middle of the camp. If someone is bit by a snake and they look at the uh, serpent on the pole, then they can be healed. And I love that story because John... Uh, uses that imagery when he speaks of Jesus over in John chapter 3. He says, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus will be lifted up to provide salvation to those that believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, 
to have everlasting life. And that metaphor is used right before John 3.16, so I love it. So, notice here, the, the physical ailment, the death, came as a result of rebellion. This was God's judgment against their sin. And there can be times where God will send physical ailments as an act of judgment on rebellion against Him. Now, here's a third issue regarding physical ailments. Physical ailments can be God's discipline to get our attention. May not be a may not be a serpent that comes up and bites you and you die, but it may be uh, God allowing or causing uh, some sort of sickness to get your attention because He's disciplining you. Now, over in Hebrews twelve, it speaks of the Father disciplining us, and it says that He disciplines us because He loves us. I mean, ultimately. Why do parents discipline their children? Why? Love. They want, wait, they want to protect them and want them to go in the right direction. So if they're going in the wrong direction, going in a harmful direction, they'll discipline them and say, no, you can't go that way. It'll, it'll hurt you. It'll destroy you. So they'll discipline them to get them back on the right path. And it, such is, uh, so it is with God. God disciplines us sometimes if we're going the wrong direction to get us going the right direction. And, and he can use physical ailments to discipline us. Turn over to Psalm chapter 31. Psalm 31, a psalm of David. What he says in verse 9. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress... My eyes wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. So his body is, is, is suffering. For my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of what? My iniquity. My body has wasted away. So David here, and there's debate over what David's talking about here, and we don't have time to go into that, but, but David here is saying, because of my iniquity, I'm suffering physically. And he's asking God to heal him from his physical suffering. And so this is an example of God getting attention, getting David's attention to get him back on the right path. David was a man after God's own heart, but David blew it uh, a lot and blew it in some major, major ways. And if we're honest, we blow it sometimes too, right? And, and if we blow it and turn our back to God and ignore God and, and are bent on going in a certain direction that is harmful to us, God may use Physical ailments, physical sickness to stop us, slow us down, put us on our back, for lack of a better phrase, so that we'll get back on the right path. So that's another reason for physical ailments. Here's another issue. Physical ailments can be used by God to humble us. To humble us. Turn over to 2 Kings with me very quickly. 2 Kings chapter 5. The whole, the whole um, context here is that uh, Naaman was a captain of the army of the king of Aram. And they came against the Israelites, and during one of their conquests, they took a slave girl captive with them. And Naaman, who was this great military leader, came down with leprosy. And so he's, he's of course, concerned about this, this, this terrible skin disease. And this slave girl who had been taken cap captive by the army says, I know a man that can help you. I, I know a man of God, and she knew about Elisha, the, the prophet who was performing miracles. And so Naaman goes back. He's going to go to Elisha and get his healing. So look what happens in chapter 5, verse 8 of Second Kings. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Can't you imagine the, the importance? I mean, he comes up with this, this, this cavalcade of horses and chariots and soldiers, and you can imagine how important and impressive this, this looked. So Naaman came with the horses and chariots, stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Notice, Elisha doesn't even come out. Naaman was a very important man. He was, he was used to speaking, and, 
and people, you know, hopping too. But look what happens in verse uh, 10. Elisha sends a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. Now look at Naaman's response. But Naaman was, what's it say there? Furious. And went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and far part of the rivers of, rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? See his pride there? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Naaman had to humble himself. The prophet of God wouldn't even come talk to him. He thought, I'd walk up, he'll come out, say a prayer, and I'll be healed. But he said, no, you've got to go wash seven times in a, in a Jewish river. Notice he says, aren't the, aren't the waters of Syria enough for me to wash in? I don't have to wash in these, these Jewish rivers. But, but God humbles him and gets his attention through this and shows him his power and that he is the one true God. So physical ailments can be used by God humbles. Nothing humbles you sometimes like a sickness, does it? I mean, you're clicking wrong, long doing your thing, and all of a sudden you're flat on your back. And it can be a very humbling experience when there's nothing you can do about your condition, right? Be very, it can be very, very humbling. And, and it can make you realize how much you need God, okay? Naaman realized how much he needed God. Here's another issue. Physical ailments can be for the glory of God can be for the glory of God. Turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, the New Testament. John chapter 9, verse 1. The Bible says, As, as he passed by Jesus he, Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind. Now, his disciples had bad theology. His disciples thought, okay, if someone's sick, if someone's blind, if someone has a physical ailment, somebody did something wrong, and God's punishing them. That has to always be the case. That was their understanding. So he's blind, so either he blew it or his parents blew it. So Jesus, who did it? And I always, as I read this story, I've always pictured Jesus and the disciples standing there talking about this man while he's sitting there. You know, he's sitting there blind. And they're discussing the theology of why he's blind. But look what Jesus says uh, in verse 3. Jesus answered, it was, not, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So he's saying, hey, listen, he's not sick because he did anything wrong. He's not sick because his parents did anything wrong. He's sick because God has allowed this to display his glory. God's going to do something here, and if you... Read the rest of John chapter 9. God heals his blindness. It's a remarkable story. It gets the Pharisees' attention. They call him in for questioning, and they say, tell us what happened. Why can you see? And they doubt Jesus, and, and it's just a great story. But, but Jesus says the reason he is blind is for the glory of God. That's why he's blind. Sometimes when physical ailments touch our lives, we don't always know why. We don't always know God's plan or purpose in it. We may never know this side of heaven. This man found out in this case, but we may not always find out why we go through physical ailments this side of heaven and how God was using that for his perfect plan and his perfect will. But know that sometimes you can be sick not because you've done anything wrong or because your parents have done anything wrong or not because God's disciplining you or not because God's trying to humble you, but, but sometimes God can just allow sickness in, into your life to work out his perfect plans and purposes for his glory. And we can't understand that. We can't figure all that out. God is God. We're not. As the old hymn says, we'll understand it better by and by, right? And so understand that sometimes you can't always explain suffering. You can't always explain sickness. You can't always explain blindness. You can't always explain those things. And when you try to explain those things, you can get into trouble. Look at Job's friends. The book of Job, his three friends come up after uh, Job went through immense suffering. And we know the whole, the entire background story because it's, told to us in the first couple of chapters, but Job's friends didn't know that story. So they're trying to explain Job's sufferings, and they look like a bunch of clowns trying to, trying to explain why Job was suffering. 
And we try to explain things when we don't know, we can look kind of foolish too, can't we? And so we need to understand that sometimes physical ailment, sickness can just be for the glory of God. Sometimes the way we, we cling to the Lord through sickness and suffering can be a testimony to a lost and dying world, right? Sometimes, sometimes the way you face suffering and hardship can speak volumes about the reality of the God that you love and the reality of the God that carries you through those difficult times. And so physical ailments can be for the glory of God. They don't, they don't always have an explanation. Does that make sense? Let's be careful trying to explain um, suffering and sickness in our lives and, and particularly in the lives of others. Okay. Now here's, here's kind of a summary statement. We all have need of physical healing in our life at some point. And we are encouraged to pray for physical healing in the Bible. The Bible encourages us to pray for physical healing. All throughout the, the Gospels there are people that are stopping Jesus and crying out, Son of David, heal me, heal my blindness, asking for healing. And Jesus heals them. And, and turn over to James, there's a passage here addressed to the church. Book of James, chapter 5, verse 13. James, chapter 5, verse 13. The Bible says, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone here cheerful tonight? All right, start singing. All right. That's what it says. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man, I love this verse, with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so, there's some instructions here. If anyone's sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Anoint with oil. Pray over them. So wait, do we believe in that here? I mean, it's kind of weird calling elders oil, that's kind of strange. The answer is yes. There have been times we've had people uh, ask us to come and pray for them, and we anoint with oil. We pray over them just following the Bible and ask God to do a work of healing and leave it in His hands. And so uh, that's a, just a, a step that God gives us when we, in face, when we face sickness to pray, to ask Him to bring about healing in our lives. So we are encouraged to pray for physical healing in uh, the Bible. I, I just want you, I want you to know, sometimes we get intimidated to pray for healing because we've seen the abuses from the TV preachers, right? You see the Benny Hens and, and a lot of these folks that are just shysters, and you see them, and, and they're making this big show of healing and all this kind of stuff, and you think, well, if that's what it is to pray for healing, I'm not going to do that because that's kind of weird, and that's, those are televangelists, and, and I'm, I'm going to stay away from that. So we let the abuses of, of, of healing, of, of of praying for healing, keep us away from praying for healing, right? You understand what I mean by that? Don't let Benny Hinn uh, keep you from following the Bible. Yes, Benny Hinn's a shyster, but the Bible tells us we can go to God and ask him for healing. So I believe that we need, as Christians, we have a, a loved one in our life, in our own life, and we are, uh, we, we're, 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 we're dealing with sickness, pray, ask God to heal you. He can do it, right? I mean, in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. I was watching a video this past week. Uh, there's a church over in the Nashville area called Long Hollow Baptist Church. It's a really big church. And they have a pastor named David Landreth, and he just got uh, diagnosed with a, with a rare form of, of uh, cancer. Um, it's, uh, it's uh, what's the name of the cancer that's uh, on your skin? Um, you have melanoma, but it's in his colon. It's a, like extremely rare type of cancer, and... Uh, and the, the, the life expectancy is five months. And so this pastor this past Sunday was preaching to his church. He'd just been told the week before he had five months to live. 
uh, and they can't do chemo, they can't do radiation, they can do a little bit more surgery, maybe, um, but they said inevitably this shows up in other places, and so this is a mega church, I mean, thousands of people, and so this pastor's there weeping on the stage and telling them the story and, and, and talking to them and, and talking about it, how his hope is in Christ. It's a very inspirational message. He did a great job, and very encouraging and, and, and biblical and sound. But he's kind of walking through some things at the end about how his congregation should respond. He said, he said uh, someone asked me, do you want us to pray for your healing? And he said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, pray for my healing, yeah, do it. I, I'm going to pray, you pray, we're going to pray for my healing and, and trust God, but yeah, pray for my healing. And the fact that someone even asked that question, do you want us to pray for your healing? He was like, yeah, pray for my healing. Uh, it's okay to pray for healing. You're not, you, you're not Benny Hinn, okay? If you're praying for someone to be healed, you're just being biblical. And so we need to do that and, and do that with, uh, with, with boldness and, and trust that God can do big things. I, I don't know about you, but... You know, the Bible talks about praying in faith and believing God and knowing God's big and powerful. There have been times I've been praying with my kids, and we're, we're praying for someone to be healed. And in the back of my mind as we're praying, I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to explain this to Cameron or Caleb when the person's not healed? So I'm, I'm, I'm praying, but I'm also playing theologian in the back of my mind. How am I going to explain this to Cameron? And, 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 you know, those are important things, but maybe I don't need to think like that when I pray. Maybe I just need to pray for God to heal, right? And, and leave it in his hands. God, God can handle my prayer request. God can handle it. So I just pray and ask him to do big things and trust that he can do them and, and, then, and then trust God for the outcome and, uh, and go from there. So uh, we are encouraged to pray for physical healing. I want to encourage you to pray. When you know someone, a loved one is sick, is suffering, uh, pray boldly that God would do a supernatural work in their life to to, to miraculously heal them for his glory. All right? So we have need of physical healing. Any, any questions before I go to the next one? Because I know that may raise some questions tonight. Any questions on this physical healing section of our study tonight? Any questions? Okay. So you've actually gone through it then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Keep on explain what you mean by that. Sure, God could God could choose to heal somebody that comes to a Benny Hinn concert. Uh, concert, well, it's more he is a concert, uh, a Benny Hinn concert. Um, um, but I would, I yeah, he could do that. But I would say that the all the people that that they are praying across the stage saying you're healed is uh, uh, is they work people into a state of hyper suggestiveness and um, and it's 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 not it's not accurate. It's there's no documentation. You know, Benny Hinn said he's raised people from the dead. There's just no documentation of that. They do follow up with these crusades, and these people are not healed. You know, there's a big Lakeland revival, uh, Lakeland, Florida, uh, past few years. A guy named Todd Bentley, who is part of the uh, movement that came out of Canada, Signs and Wonders movement came out of Canada, and uh, and he was doing a healing movement. They did a documentary, and 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 there's just no validation that these people are actually healed. You know. Um, and so, I mean, sure, God could heal somebody if he wants to, um, but, um, but, but Benny Hinn's ministry is a farce. He's a heretic, and um, he's leading a lot of people astray. They come looking for an experience, and, and, and they don't hear about the gospel, um, the, the one that can save them um, from eternal suffering. So, Yeah. Yeah, fervor of a righteous man availeth much. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, God can do what he wants. I mean, God can, if someone comes to Benny Hinn Crusade, he could, he could heal him if he wants to. Um, and that, there, there may be instances of that, but uh, they would be few and far between. Sure, and there's the, there's the spiritual, you know, spiritual warfare, uh, demon 
demonic activity going on. So, yeah, I I, uh, I wouldn't trust anything that comes out of his ministry. Well, was there a comment back here? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's a it's a sad spectacle, it really is. Um, and he's you know he's driving around in Rolls Royces and flying Learjets and you know once you go to the slums of Calcutta and uh, spend some time healing the folks there that are living uh, living in abject poverty. Uh, and can't pay you a dime. Won't you go do that without the te- television cameras if you really got the gift of healing? But anyway, I digress. Oh, you're helping your son. Your son was sending money to Benny Hinn. Okay, I got you. I got you. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, there are sincere people. That, that's what's so sad about it um, is there are very sincere people that send him money and others like him money and believe in what's going on. Um, and that's what's sad about it. He's leading people astray. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the tragic part. Okay, any other questions about physical healing before we go on? Any other questions? But don't let the don't let the excesses, don't let the that the craziness out there keep you away from praying for healing biblically. I think we're well within biblical guidelines to, to pray for people to be healed. Okay. Uh, number two, not only do we have need of physical healing, we have need of spiritual healing. We have need of spiritual healing. Uh, think about it like this: a person can be spiritually sick, right? A person can be spiritually sick. Uh, turn over to. Matthew chapter 9, I want to show you where Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, this is a great passage. It says, Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors who were despised by the Jews, they saw them as traitors and and dishonest men, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. These were the outcasts, the people that weren't welcome to come to temple and worship. These were the outcasts. They were on the fringes of society. Uh, The religious of the day hated these folks, the the tax gatherers and the sinners. And the Pharisees saw this and, and said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He said, listen, people that are sick need a a physician, right? And he's not talking here about physical sickness. He's talking about spiritual sickness. And his point was this to the Pharisees. You think you're okay. You think you're righteous, but you're not. You need... Uh, you need a physician as well. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. That's why I'm spending time with these folks because they know they need help. They're not like you and think they're righteous and they're not. They know that they have some issues. They know they need a physician and they are open to my ministry in their life. So Jesus here mentions those who are sick. He's speaking of spiritual sickness, the greatest disease in, in, in the created order is the disease that all of us have. It's the disease of sin. Every single one of us has it, right? We, we were born with a sin nature. Uh, the other day, uh, my sweet little two-year-old girl, Abby Faith, we walked in, we walked in uh, the living room, and there were some pin marks on my recliner, on, and some pin marks on it. And I knew Abby Faith did. I knew the boys hadn't done that, and, and uh, it was just kind of scribble and I said, I said, Abby, I said, Abby, did you draw on this chair? She went, no. She pointed at her brother. She said, brothers. She said, brothers. She blamed, I said, no. I told Claire, I said, we didn't have to teach her to do that, did we? We did not have to teach her to lie to us. She just comes naturally. You know why it comes naturally? Because we're all born with the sin nature. Right? Every one of us. I mean, it just comes naturally. The Bible tells us, Psalm 51, that we're from our mother's womb. We have a sin nature. We're, we're conceived in iniquity. We all have that in our life, and we're all sick at all Sin ruins us. It 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 it, it, it um, works in us and destroys us. And so, 
A person can be spiritually sick, and we need a spiritual healer. And the only one that can heal us from the disease of sin is Jesus himself, because he came and died for our sins, so that when we embrace him as Lord and Savior, he washes away our sins. He is the only way to deal with our sin problem. But a person can be spiritually sick, right? And everybody is. Everybody is, apart from Christ. Everyone needs a Savior. Secondly, a church can be spiritually sick and need healing. A church can be spiritually sick. Over, we don't have time to go there, but over in uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, read uh, the messages of Jesus to the seven churches. Most of them have a word of criticism from Christ. A couple of them don't, um, but most of them have a, 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 a critical ailment in, in Jesus' message to them. Uh, for example, in Ephesus, he says, you've left your first love, right? Sardis, he says, you look like you're alive, but you're really dead. Laodicea, he said, you're lukewarm. I want to spit you out of my mouth. Right? You're not hot or cold. You're lukewarm. You can just go through those seven churches. See, these churches had some real issues. They were spiritually sick. They needed healing. And a church can be spiritually sick. It can have need of, of God's healing in their midst. Also, a nation can be spiritually sick. A nation can be spiritually sick. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord here is speaking to the nation of Israel. Actually, speaking to Judah. And look what he says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 5. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? He's talking to a nation here, okay? He said, the whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint, from the sole of the foot even to the head... There is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, not softened with oil. So he's talking to the nation of Israel. He's saying, listen, you're sick. He compares the nation or nation of Judah to a, a body. He says, all parts of your body are sick. A nation can turn their back on God and be spiritually sick. That's why over in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, the famous verses that said uh, that if we, uh, if we, uh, uh, we, we confess our sins, we turn from our wicked ways, humble ourselves, then he will hear from heaven and heal our land. Why would he need to heal our land? Because our land is sick, right? And nations can get in a position where they are spiritually sick. I believe our nation, the USA, is spiritually sick. We have turned our back on God. We, uh, what's right has become wrong in our culture. What's wrong has become right in our culture. And we have no moral compass. And we are spiraling downward morally. And we are being destroyed from the inside out. The very foundations of our society are being shaken. And, and we're heading in the wrong direction. We are spiritually sick. We need some healing, right? We need God to heal our land like Second Chronicles 7 says God will do. And so we have need of physical healing. But when you think about God being a healer, don't just think of physical healing. Think of God being a spiritual healer. He heals the, the deepest issues of our soul. And by the way, spiritual issues are more important than physical issues right? I mean, what does it matter if God heals you from uh, your disease if you die and go to hell? Right? I mean, you had a few extra moments on earth, but you're talking about eternity in hell. Spiritual healing is much more important uh, than physical healing. So we need to make sure that we lift that up as a priority. Now, let's tie this together by looking at Jesus. The last thing we'll look at. Jesus performed mighty acts of healing in his ministry. Turn over to John chapter 1 with me. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, speaking of Jesus here, He has explained Him. So Jesus, it says, the word there is where we get the word exegetes from. Jesus exegetes, Jesus explains God the Father. So if you want to know what God the Father is like, no one's ever seen Him. Moses saw a glimpse of Him from behind, remember that? 
And, and, and over in Numbers, we read God, uh, Moses saw God's form, but he didn't see God fully because he couldn't live and see God fully. He could not see God's unveiled glory. So no one's seen God, so no one can know what God is like if they haven't seen him. And so Jesus here explains what God is like. He sh- helps us understand uh, the nature and the character of God. And so what did Jesus do on earth? Well, one thing he did is Jesus healed over and over again in his ministry. So if Jesus explains the Father, and Jesus is healing a great deal in his ministry, that must speak of the nature of the Father being a healer. Does that make sense? Jesus healed over and over again in his ministry. Turn to Matthew 9 with me very quickly. Look at a couple quick passages. Our kids are on a scavenger hunt tonight, so if you hear them, that's what's going on. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. This is, you know, Jesus. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Verse 35. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So, There's no question that Jesus uh, performed a great ministry of healing during his time on the earth. And turn over to Matthew chapter 15 with me. Matthew 15, verse 29. The Bible says, Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there, and large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he what? He healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus healed over and over again in his ministry. This is a hallmark of what Jesus did during his time on the earth. But I want you to understand why Jesus healed. Okay, look at the next blank. The physical healings of Jesus demonstrated his authority to grant spiritual healing. The physical healings of Jesus demonstrated his authority to grant spiritual healing. Let me show you two more passages and we'll be through. Turn to Matthew chapter 9 with me. Matthew chapter 9 verse 1. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea, and they came to his own city, and they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say to him, first of all, be healed. He says, your sins are forgiven. He's dealing, first of all, with his greatest need. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. The crowd saw this. They were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. So Jesus says, I'm going to heal this man before your very eyes so that you understand I have authority to heal spiritually. I have authority to forgive sins, which is the greater need. Turn to Mark chapter 1 with me. Next book of the Bible, Mark chapter 1. Verse 29. So immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her, and he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. He was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the town so that I may preach there also, for this is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all the Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. So notice he doesn't say, I want to just stay here and, and, and perform a healing ministry. I've come to preach. I've come to proclaim the kingdom. And everywhere he goes to preach, he heals as 
validation for his authority to forgive sins, to meet the deeper need of humanity, the healing from our sins. And so, the physical healings of Jesus demonstrated his authority to grant spiritual healing. And so I believe if you see God doing a mighty work of healing, it's probably going to be to get somebody's attention and show them their need for Jesus. Either the person that's being healed or the extended family. To show them the reality of his power, to show them their need for him. Let me give you an example. When I was, um, when I was in India last year, we spent, spent a little over a week there and we are doing some training in churches and it was fascinating uh, after we'd go in and do training in churches, people would kind of line up and talk to you. Uh, you know, you're kind of the visiting preacher, and they want to talk to you, have you pray for them and pray for their family. And, and so uh, we just talked to all these different folks. We had a translator there explaining to us what they were saying. And almost all of these people we were talking to in these churches came from Hindu backgrounds. And, and almost everyone I talked to that was a Hindu that came to Christ mentioned a healing somewhere in their family that brought them to Christ. Almost all of them, out of the, the dozens I talked to. Just an interesting phenomenon. Just that, that these Hindus hardened in their, 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 their world religion that is, that is dark and, um, and, 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 and has them in bondage, and yet uh, God sent a mighty healing to them or their family to show them the reality of the one true God, that God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ, and through that they became Christ followers. And I saw it over and over again, heard personal testimony after personal testimony after personal testimony of people that had come to Christ as a result of seeing God heal them or their family. And so, wait, what's that, what's that all about? It's God showing them he has the authority not only to heal diseases, but the authority to forgive sins, which is the greater spiritual need. And so, Jesus performed mighty acts of healing in his ministry. And Jesus is God, so... That he's a, 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 an extension of the idea that God is healer. The Lord is healer. He is God himself, and he heals. And so, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord heals. We have need of physical healing. We have need of spiritual healing. And Jesus performed mighty acts of healing in his ministry as the great I am walking on the earth. Any questions before...